making our way past 7 o'clock. A little early start tonight. I'm excited about that because we have so much to talk about. It's Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And another huge show on tap for you tonight. Ira, we've got a uh, funny story coming up in just a second. But you're not in studio with us this evening. We do have a guest, though, joining us. His name is Dan Wallach. He's been on the show before. And Ira... Ever since we had him on Iron Sports for the first time about ah, maybe a year ago, I hear this guy on every sports publication around the country. He's a big deal. Tell us about him. Well, he started his own first sports betting-focused law firm in Hallandale, and it's called Wallach Legal LLC, and he's a sports betting attorney. He's been, of course, on every show. He's been writing for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated. Uh, he's the go-to attorney on sports gambling law, and as gaming is increasing in all the different states, we had him on before, right when the Supreme Court made their ruling that allowed it on all the states, and we're going to get an update on what gambling is right now, but I also would, he's an expert on sports law, so we can talk to him about why Miles Garrett wasn't arrested. We can talk to him about Colin Kaepernick and all these legal questions that even though I'm a lawyer, I still would like to ask an expert, and I think he's going to be, he's phenomenal, so I can't wait to have him on. Speaking about being a lawyer, this may have came in handy for you today, so Ira's always traveling around and we get these crazy stories you get yourself into these situations today was probably the craziest of all because you were mistaken for an interstate drug dealer tell us about it well i guess the question was <laughs> um in your car this is the, the question was do you have do you have drugs do you have weapons or a dead body and my response was nothing just lots of penn state and steeler clothes but that was the answer to the but no i just i was it, it was all aaron Rodgers' fault i'd have to blame him because last night after i watched the cow in cincinnati i watched the cowboys game the patriots game and then i listened to the first half and i pull up to i drove like an hour and a half and then i went to i was waiting for aaron Rodgers to have that great comeback because of course he's the greatest quarterback of all time he's a bad man he's all those great things so i'm like oh aaron Rodgers is going to come back they're down 23 nothing to the 49ers so i pull into the hilton garden and park my car leave all my clothes in there, just get my room and go in and start, you know, getting ready to, to, to watch the great game of Aaron Rodgers. And, and of course, Tim Boyle showed up there in the fourth quarter and it wasn't much of a game. So when I came out to my car, I've, I've, now, of course, I went to the Penn State Ohio State game and then I was at the Steeler uh, Cincinnati game. And I was layered up with 10,000 layers of clothes because I live in West Palm Beach right now and it's hot and I'm not used to, even though my teams I root for, of course, cold weather teams. So it's a very dangerous time for me. And I wear 5,000 layers and I only wear Steeler clothes to Steeler games and Penn State clothes to Penn State games. So in the back of my Impala was rented Impala with Illinois plates, was full of clothes lying back there. And then I don't know why they pulled me over. I was sitting next to like an SUV that looked like it was from a, a movie. Oh, and then two officers came up wearing body armor. I think they had more armor than, and more uh, pads and everything than the Steelers had when I saw them against the Bengals and the Steelers. But they came out, and then they had me get out of the car, and they looked at everything I had. And, of course, Iron Sports was on trial because they didn't understand. When I go to games, I have my radio because I love to listen to the, the radio call of the game, and they didn't, have never really saw anything like that, a, a radio, an armband radio with, with headphones on it. <laughs> and they didn't understand why I have so many chargers for my phones. And they didn't understand why I had so much clothes. Like one person could have so many Steeler clothes and how many one person could have so many Penn State clothes. So those questions were coming up, and, and then they were looking through all my things, and they saw my Sports Illustrated, and they wondered why I had seven Sports Illustrated, and they went through each of the Sports Illustrated. So as trained uh, officers as they are looking for drugs, that way they were focused on the Sports Illustrated. But, of course, I passed with flying colors and was somewhere between the border of Ohio and West Virginia, and now I'm visiting friends. I'm in downtown Charleston, West Virginia, on the top floor of the largest building here uh, doing the show. It, 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 I happened to be on the phone with Ira this morning when this happened, and, and I, <laughs> we're talking, and all of a sudden I hear police sirens, and I'm just like, uh-oh, and I was like, I gotta go. I, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be, you know, them uh, trying to pin you as the next Pablo Escobar, but either way, we're glad that uh, you're not locked up in West Virginia and you're here now. So, Ira, this seems well, to... They were asking me questions. The funny thing was they were asking me questions about the game. They were like, they were saying yeah. my story about, oh, I was going for the Ohio State-Penn State game, and then I went to the Cincinnati game, and I'm driving around, of all this clothes, and they wanted to know if it was real. So they say, I heard that was a blowout. I go, well, no, it really wasn't a blowout, but I guess it was the definition blowout. They asked me what the score was, and then they said, oh, I heard the weather was really warm for Ohio State-Penn State. I say, well, no, it really wasn't. Like, they were saying things, trying to make sure I was at the game, but of course I was, so I was able to give them the correct answers. 
Yeah, it would have been fun. You know, yeah, they're trying to pin this on you. Like, there's no way that this guy just drives around state to state attending games. They don't know Ira, though, apparently. Again, it's Ira on Sports. It's 709. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's the True Oldies channel. Um, attorney extraordinaire Dan Wallach joins us at 750. Going to hear a lot uh, from him about uh, pretty much every topic in sports right now. He can cover a little for us. So, Ira, it, it, this seems to work out for you fairly often where – you happen to get two games you want to attend that are both in the same vicinity. This time they happen to be in the same state. So, you know, that's good luck. Let's talk about the first one, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, we knew that, that this was going to be uh, probably the matchup of the week as far as, uh, you know, college game day and all that was concerned. I thought the game ended up being pretty good, though. And, of course, Penn State covered, um, you know, what the Vegas oddmakers thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, it was – it had – Penn State was a 19-point underdog, and only in the last four times in the last 40 years have they been 19 or, or greater, and they've actually 2-2 two and two in those games. And it was an interesting side note to the game is that Justin Fields, the quarterback of Ohio State, was committed to go to Penn State. If you look at Penn State publications, it said, Justin Fields, the next quarterback of Penn State. Well, of course, he decided to go to Georgia instead, but didn't like Georgia, so then he went to Ohio State. So he sort of bounced around there, but we were going. But Fields was supposed to be our quarterback. He was supposed to be Penn State's quarterback in this game instead of Sean Clifford being the quarterback. But that, so you had that, and the Penn State-Ohio State games have been, as the past four years, close, exciting, blocked punts. Uh, very, and so I think people, I, as a Penn State fan, I was nervous coming into the game, and I think the Ohio State fans were nervous too because they've seen these games, every single one of them seems to be very close games. You know, Iris, so I, I always love to hear about the city and the atmosphere. You've been to Columbus quite a few times, but not, you know, we haven't talked about it on the air here, so tell us a little bit about everything that happened with you attending this game. Well, I like Columbus a lot, and it's a great town. It's certainly not a college town. I was on this place called High Street, and they have tons of bars, tons of restaurants. And so you go out there on Friday night, and you're like, okay, we're here. I'm ready to get the whole Ohio State feel. And you just don't really get that. It's more – it's a city. It's, it's not – even when I was in Birmingham, I saw people in Alabama gear. I didn't see – everybody was just going out. There's people of all different ages, but even the college kids are, like, too cool for school. Like, they're not going to wear the Ohio State gear out, those things. So even though they – it was a college town, and it's in terms of a college being, there was the capital of Ohio, and people were just in nor- normal enjoying themselves. But they, I stayed at a hotel called The Graduate. And I like that hotel because they had all, in each city they have it, it's, it, they try to tailor their hotel to the team. So it's all in Ohio town. My key for my door was Troy Smith, the former quarterback of Ohio State's ID. Like I, they gave me this, I'm like, I think it's the wrong ID. And I look, it says Troy Smith, and then it was the key that worked there. And the room was all decked <laughs> out with John Glenn and Ohio State Buckeye and everything Buckeye. So I, I knew it was great when I left the room because I wasn't, I wasn't going to take any Ohio State stuff, so I made sure all my Penn State stuff wasn't going to leave any Penn State things in the room. But there was a nice rooftop hotel called the Lincoln Hotel, and there was a great rooftop, and there was a lot of Penn State fans up there. So you have, whenever you travel and you're a fan of opposing team, you always run into fans that, uh, from your same school. And it's great to say, like, what games have you been to? Where have you been? Those type of things. So that was, that was fun to be there for that. Ira, do you have some kind of networking group or, like, an online message board where you away fans, you know, communicate, like, where you're going to be hanging out? Not really. I just go. I just, I just, <laughs> I just go where I, I want to go. It's, it's, it's nothing. And then even like the day of, I mean, I was supposed to tailgate. I had a lot of friends there, so I tried to meet a bunch of tailgates before the game for Ohio State. But it was like around the stadium. It was not the feel of the Alabama stadium where there was sorority houses and uh, tailgating lots and those things. I mean, there's tailgating right around the stadium, but typically right around this, the Ohio stadium is there's the engineering building, the architecture building, the science building, and it wasn't that type of feel of like a college. Like it, you just felt even college, we have those buildings, but there weren't like lots of people tailgating uh, and, and like some other places. Uh, but they also had game day there, which was on ABC, on ESPN, and they also had the big noon, the Fox shows. There were two, but none of them were that attended. Each one wasn't like when you see on TV sometimes for game day, there's a zillion people there. They were sort of half attended, but it was nice to see that excitement right there. And then I do like before, they have the thing called the Skull Session at St. John's Arena, which is their old basketball gym, and the team then walks from there over to the stadium, and they walk through. That's a long walk, and they walk through a, you know, thousands of people, just like do you do in Alabama. So I thought that was, that was cool to see the players walk through and everybody's screaming and yelling and the players are videotaping. So that was pretty cool. Is this your third college game day of the year or just second? 
third because I was yeah. at Penn State, Michigan, and yeah. then LSU, Alabama, and then uh, Penn State, Ohio State. This is my third game. <laughs> Not too shabby. Um, tell us about the stadium. Uh, it, it looks beautiful on TV, and I know it's one of these that holds you know a lot of people. 103,000 people. It's the third largest between Michigan and Penn State, uh, and Alabama and Tennessee are around the same amount. And it's it's not like Penn State is steel built, so they can't really add anything to it. But this one, they it is a hodgepodge. I mean, they have added from like 60,000 to 103,000, and there's suites in the middle, and there's loges, and it's it's a double decker stadium. It's not like it's not just like Penn State is just one row up, and Michigan's like one row up. But here they actually have two decks. But then that causes, then they tried to put some suites and loges and others. They created a club section. And the, the sidelines are, they have, they're double-decker on each sideline. And then the, the, the traditional thing of the stadium is that big flag, like right in the end zone, one of the biggest American flags you've ever seen that hangs there. So, but it's, it's a good, it's an interesting stadium. It's a nice stadium um, and historic. I mean, you hear, I mean, I, I, when the band comes down, like when the band rushes down off the field, like from, they come from like the middle, of the, the middle section and they run down and the drum major looks like he's seven feet tall and it's a big hat and they're going crazy. And the, and the band is really big. Like this is like some schools, the band is big, it's really big at Ohio State and they make a whole big deal about doing the Ohio and dotting the I and seeing what happens there. I think Woody Hayes, Bob Hope, Jack Nicholas, and everybody waits. They go, like, don't do anything. They're going to dot the I. And that's why fans are there, like at Alabama, too. The fans, when the band comes out, which is early, in the game, like everyone's in the stadium. Like, it's, it's packed right when they go there. So it's that, that aspect of it. I love college football. I love all of this. Like, I love, I could eat it up forever. It's 716, Ira on sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's get into the game, Ira. Um, the first half, uh, it, it, it was a little anticlimactic to me. I, I thought there was going to be a little more action. I thought either Ohio State was going to come out and run up 21 quick points, or I thought Penn State was going to um, keep it balanced. So tell us about that. Well, I think, I think Ohio State was going to run 21 points. The problem was that um, they dominated Penn State the entire, entire game. I mean, the entire first half. Um, but the key was that, uh, that Ohio State, when, when they were up 7 nothing, and they ran, I think it was, it was a 13-play, 91-yard drive. Each play was a run by J.K. Dobbins or, or Justin Fields, the quarterback. And then they finished with, I mean, it was crazy. And, they, and he had won a third and 12 when he had a 17-yard run. That was great. But, uh, and, that, and that led them, you know, 7 nothing lead. Penn State went three and out. Chase Young, now we're going to mention him a couple times on, this, on, on my show, but he was, had three sacks for the game. He was 17 or 18 for the year. I, he really could be the Heisman Trophy winner. He was the best defensive player I've ever seen in person. He's enormous. He's fast and has great, great technique. He should be the number one player of the draft. Phenomenal player, and if there's ever a defensive player that could win the Heisman Trophy, it wasn't for Joe Burrow at LSU. I re- and I think if Chase Young wasn't suspended for those two games, I think there's a chance that this kid could be the first pure. Now Charles Woodson won it at Michigan State when he was a wide receiver and uh, defensive back, but Chase Young could be the first defensive player. But uh, but the thing that really helped Penn State was the turnovers. I said going into this game, the only chance Penn State had was to be if Ohio State turns the ball over, and uh, they drove the, they drove they drove the whole way down there again. In, into, ready to score, and, and Justin Fields fumbles the ball. Lamont Wade knocks it out. So it could have been 14 nothing, and then Penn State drove down, punted. I would actually gone for it, and Ohio State scored again late in the second quarter, making 14 nothing. Should have been 21 nothing. And at halftime, they had 330 yards to Penn State 64 yards. If you look to score 14 nothing, really not that bad. Yeah, exactly. I I thought that it was going to be you know twenty eight thirty five nothing, and you got to give Penn State credit. It's bend don't break, I guess. Um, what about the second half? What happened? The second half, Ohio State drove it right down again. K.J. Hill scores a touchdown, make it 21 nothing, And then Penn State gets the ball back. And then Sean Clifford, their quarterback, gets, he was getting hit the entire first half, but finally he got hit and just didn't get up. And I hurt his ankle. And Will Levis came in, who's the backup uh, quarterback as a freshman, and, uh, redshirt freshman. And I saw, I met Will Levis' parents last year at the Citrus Bowl, and they were both enormous. His mom and dad seemed like they were both over like 6'5". And Will Levis is huge. He's bigger than Sean Clifford. And his strategy with Will Levis was just run the ball. And I think it just created some matchups for Ohio State. They were confused because once he came into the game, so they're down 21-0. You have your backup quarterback in who really hasn't played all year, and suddenly he leads this drive down, and they score. They make it 21-7. They're like, okay, we're still in the game. And then what happens next? 
Justin Fields fumbles the ball on <laughs> the next play. Michael Parsons <laughs> forced it. Penn State recovered, and two more plays, and Levis you know, ran it in, and they made it 21-14. So suddenly, it's like, now it's sort of a game. And then Fields and Dobbins got messed up on a snap. I think some say it's Fields' fault, the others Dobbins. They fumbled again, and, uh, and Penn State gets the ball back, but they only get a, a field goal, so made it 21-17. So Penn State, Ohio State goes three and out and punts the ball. So now all this momentum, and this is what gets me frustrated because people say, well, Penn State played a great game. They were in the game. I'm like, you can play a great game. You can be in a great game. You can try to pull the upset. But it's one thing to, to, to have the game there and, and finish it. And if I watch tonight, we're going to talk about last uh, Saturday night when Arizona State beat Oregon. They were a 24-point favorite in that game, and they figured out a way to win. And I'm frustrated that I thought Penn State, and I, I was disappointed because I think as good as this game was and how they hung in there and fought back, they still had a chance to win the game, and they just couldn't get it. They, 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 they got the ball back to, with ability to take the lead, and they bumbled and fumbled and messed up. And then Ohio State scored a touchdown, made it 28-17 with 13 minutes left. And really, that was it. I mean, Penn State came down and, and had a chance through an interception, but I, I, you didn't see Penn State scoring two times there at the end. But it was, uh, so it was a good game, but it's like I thought that Penn State had their chances, and when Ohio State's defense needed to step up there, it stopped them. And, uh, and it was just, so it's a little frustrating that Penn State let the game get out of control a little bit. Nice that they battled back, but still should have pulled off the upset. And that means that Penn State's out of the mix for the national championship. If they, Penn State wins that game, they play uh, in the Big Ten championship game. Now they're, now they're going to either play at the, in the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl. They have no chance to be in the college football playoffs. Um, all right, Ira, let's, uh, let's keep moving. And another game that people would want to keep their eyes on um, on Saturday would have been Georgia and Texas A&M, and this turned out to be a pretty decent game. Well, I, I, so the game's over. I run out. The traffic's terrible. Then it's, it was so cold during the game. And it rained, but then it was like, don't rain, don't rain. And so it rained a little bit, but then it stopped. It actually wasn't that bad in the fourth quarter. But then once the game was over, it started to rain again. So I was like, I ran to a bar, so I went to catch all these afternoon games. And so I'm watching Georgia and, and Texas A&M, and you've got to feel sorry for Texas A&M. I mean, their schedule, they have Clemson, LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. They play four of the top five teams in the country. And Georgia's up 16-3. to They're cruising. It's the game's going to be over, but A&M, A&M came down and, and they, they kicked a field goal and they got a touchdown and uh, and it was a, they had, they were back in the game and I just think like Georgia's defense there just like sort of just fell apart and they played great all the whole game and then they just fell apart and then uh, A&M did have their chance but they could not uh, they weren't able to they weren't able to they was a fourth and eleven on the forty three on Georgia's forty three with four minutes to go. And there's this, all this talk about what the Cowboys should have done on their fourth down against the I mean, uh, Patriots last night. But a lot of people were saying, well, what about, I've thought about this game, is that I think you have a chance to win the game. I thought A&M should have went for it on fourth and 11 on Georgia's 43. And they punt the ball, and uh, they were able to close the game. They, could, they actually kept the ball the four, final four minutes of the game. They ran 10 plays, 426 converted, two third and ones. And uh, Georgia held on to win. They played Georgia Tech next week. And, boy, if they beat LSU, they're in the college football playoff. And, you know, Ira, going back just a little bit, you know, we, we talked about Chase Young, and maybe he will be the number one overall pick because you see guys like Fromm and like Justin Herbert um, had bad performances. Once again, like you said, Joe Burrow is going to make it tough. But with Tua's injury and the other two, you know, massive prospects not quite looking su- super, I, do you think it's that far-fetched that, that Chase Young would jump them? I don't. Well, look at Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm was supposed to – Justin Fields transferred out of Georgia because they would not start Justin Fields over Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm came into this year as people saying he could be the number one pick in the draft. He was 11 for 23 for 163 yards. Anybody who's watched him like the last five games, he's been on national television. He's looked terrible. Like you cannot, you cannot see him. I mean, he's going to be worse than Mason Rudolph. You cannot see him being an <laughs> NFL quarterback. So he went from being the number one player in the draft to someone who was probably the third or fourth in the draft. LSU played uh, Arkansas, and and they just had to keep keep rolling like they have been, and they didn't have a problem with that. Well, uh, the only interesting thing about the game was that the line of forty five was the largest line in the history of the SEC in an SEC game, which I thought that was whatever to say about how bad Arkansas was and how good LSU is. You know, I was with a uh, a friend, and she's not big into college sports. And we're looking at this game, and she's like, is this broken? With 66-3 to three in this Alabama game? <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, and that's what did happen. Well, Mac Jones, everybody about the Alabama game was looking. Can Mac Jones come in there, and is the, is the team going to fall apart? And it just shows you how talented Alabama is. They come in there. They, they blew a Western Carolina team that was they're supposed to win. But, but Mac Jones looked... 
decent. He was 10 for 12 for 275 yards. They threw three touchdowns. Uh, and now it sets him up. I mean, that was actually Tua's injury. If Tua got hurt in the Western Carolina game, it would have been a disaster. But the fact that Tua was out, got hurt in the last game, and then he was able to then now have Mac Jones had a game under his belt to get ready for the Auburn game, I think that was key. So now it sets up for Alabama-Auburn for, for next week. Um, some people don't think Utah is that great, and you may not, but they did roll over Arizona. Well, that was a win. I mean, as we're going to talk about, our next game is Oregon. Utah needed that win. They blew them out. I mean, it was late at night. No one was watching the game. But it's so funny. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. We're going to go over this a little bit. I've done so much analysis of these teams. But Utah right now is, like, right on that edge of getting in that playoff. I and mean, they announced in two weeks that Utah is in the semifinals. They're like, what? How'd that happen? But you've got to stay up late to watch their games because their games are, I think every game is like a 10 o'clock game, and they probably end at like 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And then, yes, yeah, the game that we, we, you knew we'd be talking about this one. It was the upset of the week in Oregon. I mean, does this completely squash Oregon's chances here for the, uh, for the playoff? So Oregon has one loss, as we're going to get into. You two losses, you're out. So Oregon had one loss, but Oregon seemed, the whole week, everyone keeps talking about Oregon. Oregon would get it because Oregon's only loss was to Auburn. It was in August, and they had played. The schedule was better. They looked better in the games, and also they played in the playoffs before, so they have a name. Everything about Oregon felt like this was there, and they're 24-point favorites of Arizona State. Arizona State is coached by Herm Edwards. When Arizona State hired them, they're like, that's crazy. What a stupid hire. He hasn't coached college football in a million years. He's been a pro coach. He hasn't coached in pros in over a decade, but you can see how Arizona State, some games, it's an emotional, it's at home, they're excited, and they got up 24-7, and Herbert was awful. I mean, interception. I'm watching this game. He was terrible. He was just as bad as Jake Fromm and Mason Rudolph. I'm throwing them all in the same boat because they just throw these stupid interceptions across the middle and all those things. But then <laughs> Oregon scores three twice in 59 seconds. It makes it 24-21. And you think Arizona State, you talk about leaking oil. That's like a car going around a racetrack and it's like going 10 miles an hour while everyone else is going 200. And suddenly on a third and 16, uh, Jaden Daniels, their freshman quarterback, throws it 81-yard touchdown bomb to take now like a 10-point lead in the game. And even though Oregon came down and scored, Arizona was able to hold on, get that first down at the end of the game, always we talk about that, and hold on to win the game and, and knock Oregon out. And that was, again, these games are knockout games. But as someone who's like into this whole mix of like who's in and who's not, I mean, that was a humongous game. And every, it's like, it seems like every week we have that one game that comes out of nowhere. It's like, wow, and that was the game. Absolutely it was. Um, we were saying wow about Jalen Hurts, you know, for the entire first half of the season. And then you look at a game like yesterday and, I mean, Saturday, and just the, the statistics just weren't quite there. It, Oklahoma did manage a win, though, over TCU. Oklahoma, we're going to talk about them, about their resume. They were up 28-17 on the TCO five-yard five line That's in the fourth quarter. This game is over. It's 28-17 on the five-yard line. They're going to blow it out. What does he do? He throws a pick six. They come back. What does he do again? He gets it all the way down to, like, I don't know, 39. He fumbles again. So they, they, they're just barely holding on. I mean, TCU had definitely had a chance to win this game. Again, Oklahoma's favored by, I think, 18, 19 points. But uh, they dominated statistically. Had 30 first downs to 11 first downs, 511 yards to 204. But Hurts has been turning the ball over with fumbles and interceptions. And, and the way they do it, they're a running team. I mean, Oklahoma runs the ball. He, um, he had 28 carries for 173 yards. Kennedy Brooks, their, other, their running back, had 25. So they had 53 carries between them. They're a running team, not a passing team with, uh, like they had with, uh, with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. But Oklahoma's still in the mix, as we talk about. But that was, they don't look good. I mean, if you're, the eye test, when you look at Oklahoma game, you're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, they're just turning the ball over. They're letting these teams that are bad stay in it. So, again, on your resume, it's not a good thing on your resume. Let's talk about uh, Minnesota Northwestern real quick. Um, this one was uh, got a little out of hand. Well, just I'll link the Minnesota and Wisconsin games. They both won, so that sets up next week when they play each other for the Big Big Ten West Championship for the right to play Ohio State. So even if Ohio State loses to Michigan, they're in the championship game. But now Minnesota, with one loss, plays the two-loss Wisconsin team, and uh, they need, Minnesota has surprised and did whole year long, and, 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 and it was a win that they had to do. And Northwestern at 2-9 and nine was disappointing. I mean, Pat Fitzgerald's one of the best coaches in the country, and it's just uh, this year just got away from him. And from Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor went over Purdue 45-24. Jonathan Taylor, 28 carries, 222 yards. He now has 5,856 yards, which is the most as any running back has ever had through three seasons. And you might see that, and it's a little – it doesn't – it's not perfect <laughs> – you know, correct because they're playing more games now. And the, the people back in, the, like, even Herschel Walker was only playing 12 games a year. They weren't playing the 12 games 
plus the conference championship games, plus two playoff games and all those other games, that, that those stats count. So it's not really, it's really unfair to say, okay, we had 58, 56 yards passing Herschel Walker when he's played, I think he's played like six or seven more games than Herschel has. But still, Jonathan Taylor is a great back. He's clearly going to go pro next year and, and have a good uh, pro career. You know, a lot of people are really giving um, Harbaugh and Michigan a lot of praise for this 39-14 to 14 win over Indiana. Well, I don't know if the praise, look, whatever praise Michigan has, they've righted their season. They have the two losses to Penn State, uh, and, uh, but, uh, but they, uh, the Penn State gave them a second loss. But the fact is, their, their record on Indiana is 39 and 1. Shea Patterson threw for five interceptions. He had four, five, 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 five touchdowns. He, people like you had five interceptions. So he threw for five touchdowns. He threw for four touchdowns the week before. He's the first Michigan quarterback ever to have like games of four touchdowns and five touchdowns. He's the quarterback that Michigan thought he was going to be when, they, when he transferred there. And they're rolling. I mean, they are feeling good about themselves having Ohio State come to Michigan uh, for, the, for the game. And it's so funny, when I was at Ohio State, they don't even refer to Michigan as Michigan. They refer to them as the team up north or the university <laughs> up north. They don't ever call it Michigan. It's like the the curse words that you don't say in the locker room. Um, yeah, Ira, you don't say it. <laughs> you know, I didn't listen to much local radio here in South Florida today, but I have to. I have a feeling that they're not going to be too thrilled with Miami uh, versus FIU. Well, that was FIU. Miami was a twenty point favorite. FIU. Just need to say this: FIU had no chance to win this game. Um, they really, the fact that they were only a twenty point favorite in the game tells something about how poorly Miami has played this year when they really should be a 40 to 50 point favorite. They played at the Miami at the Marlin Stadium. That's where the Miami Hurricanes used to play and they had a 58 game consecutive game winning streak. And Miami goes down 23 to 3 and then they come back in the fourth quarter and make it a little closer, but you're down 23 to 3 to a team. I just they have now this year and I, I and I don't have the exact stat. It's it's the first time ever a team has been favored by 15 points or more. In it, by three games and lost all three games in a season. I mean, it's like they, they have just, it's, it's uh, Manny Diaz, he's excited, he's enthusiastic. The team, they've had some good wins this year, but they're 65. But this loss was terrible. I mean, this is a loss you just cannot lose to Florida International University. You just cannot when you're Miami playing FIU. It's just a disaster for them and uh, horrendous, horrendous, horrendous loss. No, it's supposed to be one of those games that you, when you make your schedule up for the year, like, well, here's one of our wins. We're doing these guys a favor by even playing them. We talked on this show, I guess maybe eight weeks ago, that Manny Diaz's job not in jeopardy at all. Do you think they're looking at it a little differently today? I, look, yes. I think you can't lose. I think it's like one of those games where you just cannot afford to lose. You just cannot afford to lose a game like that. Uh, you just can't. I mean, with the tradition that Miami has, and lose to an in-state, it lose to an in-state team, and it just you just cannot have a loss like that. No, I, I, do, I do think it it is something that they would be thinking about. Yeah, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be an easy choice uh, when you have to make that decision. Seven thirty-two, Ira on sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. Dan Wallach joins us at seven fifty. You're not going to want to miss that. Um, all right, Ira, let's talk about how you think this is going to shape up. Well. I, this is, I'm almost considered this as like a job interview, okay? So there's sometimes <laughs> when, say, you're, say you're, working, you're working at a company and your boss calls you up or the owner of the company and says, these guys, you got to, this person, this man or woman, you have to hire. Like it's a, it's a must hire. You have to hire them. And the only way you can't hire them is like, remember the movie Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and uh, John O'Reilly or whatever, John, whatever <laughs> that, like when they went to the interview, like it, it would have to be that A type group of interview in tuxedos. So, the, Yes, interview with tuxedos. <laughs> and so, really, these three teams have been told they're in. LSU is in. They, have, they beat Texas, they beat Florida, they beat Auburn, they beat Alabama. The remaining games are Texas A&M, and, uh, and, then, then, and then they play uh, Georgia. I really think they can, unless they lose two games, they're in. They can lose to Texas A&M, and, and, and if, as long as they win one of the two, they're in. I think Ohio State the same thing. I think Ohio State, they beat Cincinnati, they beat Wisconsin, they beat Penn State. I think if they lose to Michigan or lose the Big Ten title game, they're in. They can, they can take a loss. Now, Clemson can't take a loss, but they play South Carolina, and then they play the winner of UVA and Virginia. They are going to destroy either, both, all of those <laughs> teams. So I really, even as much as their losses, it's just nothing, it's just not going to happen. And that's not, that's not, they're 26-point favorites over South Carolina. So that's, I just don't see, I mean, it would be one of the biggest upsets of all time if they would lose one of those games. If they lose one, they're out. But those three are in. So now everybody else, we're talking about that fourth position. They're all playing. Everybody else, the other six teams are playing for that one spot. So, and then 
so then we have Georgia. So in their non-conference slate was Murray State, Arkansas State, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech. Notre Dame was a good win. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Florida. They beat Auburn. But they're lost. They have the worst loss. Yeah. I watched that game. <clears throat> South Carolina at home. And they play Georgia Tech, and then they play LSU. But I really feel it's like it is one of those things where they're given a test. It's like, okay, you want this job. Uh, we're not, no interview, just a test. But it's going to be the hardest test you've ever taken. But if you ace the test, you got the job. And I think if Georgia beats LSU, they're in. Like, they're in. There's no doubt about it. They're taking that fourth spot over anybody. Because you beat the number one team in the country, you beat them for the SEC title, you're in. And I think, I know this. people might not like this, but I think that Minnesota, their non-conference schedule was terrible. South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, they beat nobody except Penn State. They're close. They, they only beat South Dakota State by seven, Fresno State by two in overtime, Georgia Southern by three, Purdue by seven. Penn State by five, but I think if they beat Wisconsin and they beat this Ohio State team and they're the Big Ten champion, I think they're in. Yeah, you now, have if to. Georgia and Wisconsin, Minnesota both win, then I think Georgia gets the nod, but I mean, the chance of that, I mean, look, Minnesota's probably going to lose this week to Wisconsin. <laughs> so, I mean, they're an underdog this week against Wisconsin, but I think that, but I think, it, I think that those two teams sort of, they would, they're in if they win. And then it comes down to all the rest, and they're going to have to do something impressive to get this job. Well, the resumes of these. So there's four, there's four teams for this final one. And then you have, you have Alabama. So unfortunately, Alabama, they, don't, they only play Al Auburn next, but they can't win the SEC title. And they're lost with LSU. So they really have nothing. They have no close games all year. They beat Texas A&M, beat Mississippi, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Arkansas, Tennessee. All the weak teams in the SEC, not really good. It's not a good schedule. And usually at the beginning of the year, they play a really big game. They play Duke. So their non-conference was New Duke, New Mexico State, Southern Mississippi, Western Carolina. So they've had, they blow everybody out. The only thing, game that was close was LSU. If they beat Auburn, they're going to say, look, we are clearly the best fourth. You know, we should definitely be in. So that's why they're, that's their resume. It's like, we're just better. Our eye test, I don't care if we have Tua, no Tua, we're, we're in. And then you have a team, then you have Utah. So what do Utah play non-conference? BYU, Northern Illinois, Idaho State. Now they beat their Pac-12 teams, the Washington States, the Oregon States, Arizona, Cal, UCLA, Arizona. And they only had like one close game with Washington. But their loss was another bad loss. I mean, they lost at USC. I was at that game. It was actually at Bama's only loss and Utah's only loss. They didn't really look good in that game. USC threw all over them. And they, they finished with Colorado. But this is where that Oregon loss hurts. They're not now playing a one-loss Oregon team. They're playing a two-loss Oregon team. So I think they're hurt in that championship game if they play Oregon. But the Utah is like saying, look, we're going to win the Pac-12 championship. The rules that the committee looks at is if you win your conference championship, someone who doesn't win can get in unless they're unequivocally better than someone who wins the conference. So Utah is going to be like, well, there could be some doubt. We're a conference champion, so we should be in. And then their debate, the other two teams, would be Oklahoma or Baylor. Now, there's only going to be one left because they play each other, and there's going to be one with two losses and one with one. But Oklahoma actually, if the, Oklahoma has a chance to lose this week against Oklahoma State. But if you look at Oklahoma, I mean, they played Houston, South Dakota, and UCLA at a conference. They, play, they beat Texas Tech, Kansas, Texas, WVU, Kansas State. They won these games, but they, they beat Texas by seven, Iowa State by one, Baylor by three, TCU by four, and their loss was at Kansas State, a terrible loss. They haven't looked good. I mean, most of their games have been close. Baylor, the same thing. Baylor's schedule was even worse. Stephen F. Austin, University of Texas, San Antonio, Rice, they, they beat Rice by eight, Iowa State by two, Texas Tech by two in overtime, TCU by three in overtime, West Virginia. They really, their loss was to Oklahoma. They really don't have, their resume doesn't scream, even with that one loss. So that's why I really think that Utah would be a get in over Oklahoma or Baylor, and then it's going to be that big battle between would someone feel it's going to be Bama or Utah. But we talked about what Georgia and Minnesota could, could, could possibly do to get in there. But it's still, it's fun. I mean, I love this. this. is what I love about college football, just debating resumes, debating this, and seeing who's going to get the, into the playoffs. So what do we have to look forward to this week? Well, <clears throat> Friday at 12 o'clock, Virginia Tech at Virginia. The winner plays Clemson. Also, an interesting game Friday, Cincinnati at Memphis. These, this is the team for the Cotton Bowl for that one big six bowl. They could be the best non-power uh, five conference to get in. So that game is going to be crucial for that. And then on Saturday, just a great slate. I mean, tremendous. Ohio State at Michigan at 12, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech. 3.30, you have Bama at Auburn and Wisconsin, Minnesota. And then at night, you have LSU playing Texas A&M, Utah, Colorado, and, uh, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. So you, every, at every session, you have like two or three games you want to keep your eye on. So I'm excited. It's going to be a great day of college football, and I haven't decided where I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to go to Penn State Rutgers or Ohio State, Michigan, or just watch all the games on TV. So that's what we're 
Penn State Rutgers. Ira, you have to go to Ohio State versus Michigan if you have the choice. I know, I know. We'll see. A lot depends on if they get a snowstorm, but I know that's what you sound like everyone else I know saying that. That's exactly right. Penn, Penn State's favored by 42 over Rutgers in a snowstorm. Doesn't look that appealing. <laughs> it's 7:39. Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Dan Wallach joins us in just about 11 minutes. You're going to want to stick around because this guy has an answer for pretty much everything going on uh, in the NFL or in the world of sports right now. Ira, let's switch to the NFL, and I got to tell you, just hearing the media, people around me, the internet, everywhere you looked was talking about how that Steelers-Bengals game might have been the most boring game of the year, and you happen to be there. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know that I love talking about, I love going to Steeler games, love talking about the NFL. That was it was it was a terrible game. It was boring to watch. It was and 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 I mean, I was. I was in a row at the game and actually saw people sleeping. I mean, old and young. I mean, there was a young kid who was like eight years old sleeping, and then there was someone who was like 50. Everyone was sleeping. Like, when you're at a game, it reminded me of the, the natural with Robert Redford when they were playing because the Bengal fans were like, we're 0-11. I don't know why we're there. And the Steeler fans were, wait a second, where's Juju? Where's, uh, where's Le'Veon Bell? Where's Antonio Brown? When's, is, this a, is this a preseason game? Like, it almost literally looked like a preseason game, not a regular football game. And it was – and there was – when you when you're at a game and there's nobody there in this huge stadium, it was like there was there was nobody in my row, there was nobody in the row behind me, there was nobody in row anywhere, and it was just it was the 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 biggest cheer was when Duck uh, was the quarterback, uh, uh, Duck Hodges, their backup quarterback, was announced to come in for the Steelers because all the Steelers fans cheered because they were very the Bengal fans were not cheering one way or the other, they weren't booing, they were cheering, it was just nothing. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Mason Rudolph not the answer in uh, Pittsburgh. What? No, clearly not the answer uh, at all. I mean, it was, it was the, what happened during the game was that he, this is what I think happened to Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph had a concussion. He came in as a second round draft pick from Oklahoma State. When he was drafted, Ben said, we need help. We don't need him. We shouldn't have drafted him. But he really, people like him in the locker room. He's very popular. He worked really hard last year. He comes back this year. People said he looked great in preseason. He looked great at training camp. The Steeler coaches were very high on him. Everybody was high on him. And Ben gets hurt. He steps in and plays well those first couple games. But when he got the concussion, in, 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 when he got the concussion, you saw with the face mask taken off and everything. Then he did. He sat out the San Diego game, and then he came back. I think they rushed him back a little too much. He has not been the same player since he got the concussion. And I'm not saying he was that great before, but he, he hasn't really been the same. And then you had the whole Cleveland disaster, and then all last week with him, with getting, with being in the fight with with Cleveland, not getting suspension. Should he had the suspension? Uh, Miles Garrett said he used a racial epithet, and he denied it, uh, and back and forth about that, and answering all those questions. I don't think his mind was ready for this game. I don't really think he should have played in the game, and he just looked, I mean, he's, been, he's now thrown five interceptions in five games. I don't think he's ready for this game. He's a, he's a guy that, when he makes a mistake, comes back, he's looking at the, the iPad they have. He's not, he's just, he does, he's just too wound, too tight, and he got pulled from the game on a pass. Where he went back to pass and he threw it, and the ball bounced to DeAndre Johnson. There was no rush; nobody was rushing. DeAndre Johnson was standing there, right in front of Mike Tomlin, and the ball was like if you're at the at the in the ocean and you want to skip a rock. That's what he tried to do. Is like, is this like bounce passes? Because it bounced. It wasn't like he could even. It just bounced like five yards in front of him. And I, I'm looking at Tomlin, and immediately Tomlin turns around to, his, to some coordinator and said, like, you're, he's done. He's finished. I mean, that was it. It was. It was just. It was so. It, I feel bad for Rudolph. I don't. I don't. I, when I saw, I was there. We'll talk about when I was there in the, for the warmups, which is amazing to watch. And he looks great. He's tall. He's strong. Throws a great ball. But once the game action comes in, he was a, has been a complete mess. Delvin Hodges comes in and throws a touchdown on his first first throw too. Uh, didn't make Rudolph look good after that. You want to talk about that game anymore? Or you want to move on? Yeah. No. I, let me let me go in. I, go I did think it was interesting to be there. I think that I, the stadium is different. It's weird. It's right next to the freeway. And so when you walk in the stadium, there really is not the tailgating that you expect. It's like warehouses and other things. It's just not an exciting place. Now, by the baseball stadium is where they have all the bars and restaurants. But I like to see them. It's a new stadium. It's pretty. It, it, the, the club level is beautiful. There's nobody in there. It's pretty empty. It's much better than Steelers Stadium, much better than Ravens and Browns. Uh, a great stadium. And uh, so I enjoyed being there. I, I was lucky. I got to go in the field before the game. And I did that once before this year. And it was tremendous just to be literally there was no Nobody on the field, and I'm standing there watching the Steelers warm up, like an inch away from them. And even T.J. Watt was like, "Hey, 
hey, hi, how you doing? Like, it's just talking <laughs> to me before the game. But I love how they were. The Steelers, like, hit before the game. I mean, you could see their defense is fired up. I mean, they were, like, pounding. Like, Bud Dupree, number 48, if you watch him, he is enormous. I, he is so big, so strong, so fast. T.J. Watt, like, you wonder how anybody could block these guys. They are just, they're big, they're strong. Like, they jump high, they run fast, and they're big. They don't, I mean, they're just, they're amazing. And it was great when you're up that close and you see people do that with all their pads on and how fast they're, because they're wearing all the pads and how quick they are. I just like that. And it was funny because I walked out of the stadium. They're, they're ushering everybody out. And, like, nobody told me where to go. And, like, we're walking, and suddenly all the Steeler coaches were coming up to go to the press box. So, I'm like, I'm walking with the Steeler coaches. And in the elevator, me and, like, two other people were going there. And the, uh, and the person joked, and they go, well, we could keep you stuck in the elevator the whole game. And then one of the Steeler coaches say, if you do, I bet you the Steeler fans will be happy that we were stuck in the elevator the entire game. But I went up and watched the game from the seats. But it was neat to be down there at, at field level. Uh, a field level for the game. And, and it was just the Steelers were, were playing, uh, uh, you know, Benny Snell was their best running back, who was a rookie from Kentucky, James Washington, and Duck Hodges was, became the quarterback. Now, Hodges um, at Sanford, he played at Sanford, was the leading one double A passer of all time. And he threw for 15,000 yards and 111 touchdowns. And he looked great in, in camp, too, and that people like him. And I think. He is more mobile. He's like he's a gamer. You throw him in there, people are chasing him. You could say there's no offensive line. Everybody can rush him. He's someone who's going to figure out a way. Now, and that first pass he had to James Washington over the middle was great. I mean, he throws a, a, a he's going to get intercepted because he doesn't have that strong an arm, but he does loft the ball up and lets the wide receivers get to it. Whereas Rudolph seems to like want to throw everything on a rope, and that's why you know they're incomplete. But Hodges at least gives his chances his to have a uh, have a had to catch it. And uh, for the Bengals, though, Ryan Finley was absolutely terrible. He was as bad as Mason Rudolph was, and now he's been benched, and they're going to bring uh, um, Andy Dalton back uh, for the rest of the season because Finley is, was their rookie quarterback who wasn't the answer for them. Uh, but it was, it was like one of those games where, I, where it was almost it was 10-10. Now, if the Steelers would have lost the game, the season would have been over. I mean, the Bengals tied the game with 10-10, uh, but they didn't gain any yards on the next two possessions. And this B.W. Webb for Cincinnati committed, it seemed like, three pass interference penalties in a row. Steelers kicked a field goal. Uh, Boswell, their kicker, he has kicked 49 kicks against Cincinnati, made all 49, between field goals and extra points, 49-0. and And uh, the Steelers ended up uh, winning the game. And what, Oh, the one play that saved him is they – through. The Bengals were driving, was it 13-10, and Tyler Boyd uh, was at like the five-yard line, and Devin Bush ran up there, and Tomahawk chopped the ball out of his hands, and Minka Fitzpatrick uh, recovered again. Yeah. And that's sort of like, that play could have, I mean, every team you see, all these games where the Indianapolis one play saves the Steelers season, that was the one that did it. And of course, it's uh, our boy Minka Fitzpatrick coming up with another, you guys a ball hawk, <laughs> picking up another one. Um, it, it's the two teams in the country, I think, that are hated by more than anybody. The Cowboys facing off against the Patriots, and I think that Jerry might have finally had it with Jason Garrett. Well, this game, I read that Mike Levowitz book where he talked about uh, Kraft, and, uh, uh, Kraft and Jerry Jones, and it's the rivalry. I mean, Jones comes in the league, he wins three titles, then Kraft comes and wins six and Jones gets inducted in the Hall of Fame. And you read, and, and Mark Levitz interviewed all, both of them, and they both were like, what's Jerry doing? What's Robert doing? What do he say? They're very in it. So it's a competition. So when I think Jerry Jones comes up there, they play a, a, a game in New England. He's at Robert's house. He sees the six Super Bowl trophies. He is frustrated. His team loses, and the game was so close. I mean, everyone's saying, well, the Cowboys are terrible. But he made a good point. He said, he goes, I'm mad not about this game, but I'm mad that we're here. I'm mad we're 6-5, and five, meaning I'm mad we lost to the Jets. I'm mad that we, yeah. have, you know, we had that type of game. Like, I think he's like, why couldn't we, if we, I'd rather come into this game with two losses and have this be our third loss, or come into the game with one loss and have this our second, not be 6-5. and five. But he totally, I've never heard an owner ever throw so much. He goes, this was, he goes the, the coaches had a team to win this game. They had, te- they had the players, and it's 100% on the coaching. 100%. Now, of course, they're outcoached by Bill Belichick, but... You know, I don't know it's all entirely coaches. I mean, if you look at the stats, they were equal. I mean, Tom Brady is phenomenal, and, and everyone wants to criticize him. But you talk about game managing. The weather is 20-mile-an-hour winds. It was 30-degree temperatures. It was a total mess out there. He's thrown to Jacoby Myers. There's no other wide receivers but, but Edelman out there. And you can just see how Brady was able to – he didn't throw the interception. He didn't get the punt block, whereas – Dallas had the punt block. I think they were mad about the punt block that led to the first touchdown, and they're mad about Dak's interception. 
and, and, and throwing that. But they really, and, you know, everyone, they, both teams missed field goals at the end of the game during this, the first half and in the second half. It was just bad weather conditions. And Brady in New England uh, did it best. And, and the whole debate of the game was Dallas on fourth and seven with six minutes to go on New England 11, uh, where they went for the field goal to make it 13-9 instead of going for a touchdown. I don't know. It was six minutes to go. I didn't really think they needed to go on fourth and seven, but a lot of people criticized that. I thought that was a smart move because they got the ball back on the 25 with two minutes to go, but they were unable to move it. I mean, they had that one play where they converted a, third, a fourth down, but there was a penalty, and then they just turned the ball over on downs. But they still had the ball with two minutes to go in relatively okay field position to, uh, to try to score a touchdown. So I won't criticize them that much. But it was a game. I mean, clearly, look, the Cowboys, if they make the playoffs, they go to the Super Bowl, Jason Garrett can save his job. But, it, it, when what you, but you're, he definitely the criticism, I've never heard criticism like that before. Just about a minute or two away from getting uh, Dan Wallach here on the line on Ira on Sports. We'll be standing by for that. Um, Ira, uh, let's go to the Thursday night game. Houston versus the Colts. This one, I had a feeling it'd be close division matchup, and surely it was. Well, it was was a game that... uh, Deshaun Watson really made the pass that he needed to, to make, and, and, and to Hopkins there in the fourth quarter to take the lead. And, that's what, and, the, and the Houston defense was unimpressive. Uh, a lot of times in the season actually came up big and looked really good there at the end. Um, Buffalo and Denver, every time I see Josh Allen, I think more and more, this kid is, is an NFL player. He's a gamer, and Buffalo keeps winning. Well, you know, Josh Allen is, they're 8-3. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. They got Devin Singletary of FAU. He's running 21 carries, 106 yards. And uh, it was, Denver's terrible. And but, but these teams, if you look at some of these records, like why is that Buffalo 83? They have won the games against the bad teams. They have the Jets and then the Dolphins. And the, you, know, you win those type of games, and that's why you're, tw- you're, you're, you're you know, eight and three. And Josh Allen's looking like he's, uh, he's emerging. I mean, if you're looking at all those quarterbacks from the quarterback classes, the Sam Darnell, the Josh Rosen, Josh Allen's looking good. And, he, and he's not, what I like about it is he's not carrying the ball so much. He's not running it. They're actually using the running backs. He's not, he's going back, he's being like a normal quarterback and not trying to, to, to carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. I, I think it's, I look, I, and their defense is playing great. And, and I got to give Frank Gore credit. He passed Barry Sanders to be third on the list. Emmett's number one in terms of all-time rushing yards. Walter Payton, number two, and Frank Gore, number three, future Hall of Famer. Absolutely uh, super cool that uh, Frank Gore, local South Florida guy, getting it done uh, in that game. He, he said he didn't even know it until after the game. Then he saw it on the Jumbotron. Such a humble, uh, awesome guy. Um, Cleveland and Miami. I thought Miami would keep this one a little bit closer, Ira, but they didn't, and uh, Cleveland blew him out. Well, I think I, look, it, it was one of these weeks where I think ten, the Steelers – they did not handle the incident too well with the whole with, with <clears throat> Pouncey being suspended and Mason Rudolph. I mean, the point was that the Steelers fans wanted Mason Rudolph to be suspended, not for this poor play. I, I, the Browns seem to have been galvanized, and especially the offense. I mean, it's like the offense felt like, oh, no, we can't rely on the, our defense. We're going to have to play well because I thought Mayfield, 24 for 34, 327 yards, Chubb rushed for 106 yards, uh, and Landry, Jarvis Landry against the Dolphins, 10 catches for 148 yards. I mean, they play great, and I think if the offense, I'm nervous as a Steelers fan because I think this offense finally, this is the offense that you're thinking about when you're watching the team. I was watching that game on a, on a fasting today, and uh, they look good. This, this is the type of the Browns offense that, that I thought you were going to see all year. Don't get too excited just yet. I mean, they are still playing the Dolphins, and they're basically JV uh, defense out there. It's 7.52. I run sports time to bring in Dan Wallach. He's got a lot of answers for us. This guy's very in demand. Dan, thank you so much for joining us here on I run sports. Thank you for having me on, Mike. Appreciate it. I'll see if I have all the answers. <laughs> Ira, what do you got? So, Dan, thanks a lot for coming on. I, I know you started a law firm called Wallach uh, LLC, where you're going to be the, you're the only sports betting focused law firm in the country. So that's awesome to be the first. Yeah, that, that, to, that's to true. Begin. There are other law firms that, that, that handle some aspects of sports wagering, but I opened it up with an eye towards specializing in sports wagering. Uh, law representing a lot of the stakeholders in the industry, but but I also handle a number of different gambling industry-related issues, horse racing, casinos, fantasy sports, uh, contests and sweepstakes. Uh, So it's pretty much all centered around uh, the regulated uh, gaming industry. That's great. And when 
we've had you on, I guess, was it a year ago uh, when, this, when, the, when the Supreme Court ruled that, that the, the states now, it doesn't have to be Las, uh, Nevada is the only state that really allowed full casino gaming. Um, it's, tell us where we are since the ruling and what's happened across the country. Well, when the Supreme Court ruled in uh, May of 2018, the court didn't legalize sports betting. It just removed the former federal prohibition against states uh, passing sports betting laws. So once, once that impediment was, re- was removed, uh, what we've seen in the year and a half since the decision is roughly 40 states uh, introducing bills to legalize sports betting, and roughly half of them have been passed into law, and maybe 18 of the states uh, have launched sports betting operations within, within the last year and a half. So that's a pretty dizzying pace, but we're still at less than one half of the country. And some of the, some of the major states that are still on the outside looking in are, of course, Florida, Texas, California, um, Ohio, Michigan, and New York only has land-based sports betting at, at, at about seven upstate area casinos. There's no mobile betting and nothing in the southern part of the state uh, in New York City. Uh, New Yorkers have to go across the George Washington Bridge or through the Lincoln Tunnel to bet legally while they're in New Jersey. So some of the biggest uh, you know, states and the biggest markets, Massachusetts is another one, have not yet passed sports betting laws. So that's the next wave of states uh, that we're anticipating. And so where, do you, where are we in Florida in terms of what movement has there been and what, what's your prediction of, of like, when, I, when am I going to be able to just go down somewhere and, or on my app and start betting on Dolphins, Steelers, everything like that? Well, I don't want to encourage you to go into the illegal marketplace, but I think for the rest of uh, 2020, the, 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 uh, the smart money is probably on nothing getting done. And Florida is uh, unique in two important respects. Uh, I'm talking about from a legal perspective, there are two barriers that are uh, potentially impeding uh, sports betting becoming legal in this state. Number one is the state constitution. Last year, Florida voters overwhelmingly passed a measure that would take the subject of casino gambling expansion and put that exclusively in voter control. And there are several, many people who think that Sports betting as a casino amenity is something that would be captured by the definition of casino gambling. So in order to legalize it, you have to go through the voters in a statewide referendum, basically a ballot question. Uh, I'm in the other, uh, the other camp. I don't believe that casino gambling is, is the same thing as sports betting. They're two different verticals. They're defined in different ways, but it's still a barrier. And as long as there's the threat that there will be litigation over any sports betting law, I think it makes some lawmakers potentially skittish. And then there's the second barrier, which is the uh, Seminole Tribes Gaming Compact with the state of Florida, which grants the tribe exclusivity uh, in certain forms of ga- gaming and, and, get, and protects them from any gambling expansion outside of what is already allowed. So if, if Florida goes ahead and passes a sports betting law, Uh, There's a concern that it will trigger a violation of the Seminole Tribes Compact and give the tribe the right to withhold, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue sharing payments. So Florida has obstacles that other states, most other states don't have, namely the constitutional uh, issue as well as the tribal issue. Right, and that's one thing I see in New York. I saw that where New Jersey right now is past Las Vegas in terms of, of betting. There's more people, there's more money being bet in New Jersey than, than all of, 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 Las, of Nevada, which is a, which I guess. Well, it's not because New Jersey is such a popular state. It's not because New Jerseyans are crazy about sports betting, but New, New Jersey is drawing in the New York City consumers. So the Garden State is basically capturing, um, you, know, you know, market share that otherwise would belong to New York State through New York City. So New Jersey's performance uh, is certainly going to maybe you know mirror or at least exceed Nevada's, largely because uh, they have a stranglehold over the New York City, New Jersey, you know, you know, tri-state area. There's no gambling and there's no sports betting in Connecticut. Very little of it in New York State, and then New Jersey has all those mobile um, mobile betting opportunities. So New Jersey is really packing a triple punch because they can draw in from. Uh, you know, the 10 million plus New York City greater metropolitan area. 
So not to, to switch, talking to Dan Wallach of the Wallach LLC law firm, the only sports betting law firm in the country. We appreciate you coming on and one of the top experts in sports law. And so when Miles Garrett hit uh, Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet uh, a week ago, I was at the game. I was, you know, people next to me was like, they have to, someone said, who was Steeler fans, like, he has to be arrested. And then everyone's like, why isn't he being put in jail? Where are the police? And I'm like, it's not going to happen. But I thought about what the days I took sports law in law school in terms of the time when, like, what would have to happen on a field and when it has happened, when a player has actually been arrested for an on-field action, not off-field action, but actually something that happens on the ice rink, on the basketball court, on the football field. Well, you know, most of these on-ice, on-court incidents occur in furtherance of the object of the game. I mean, 20, 35 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, I don't, I'm, I'm dating myself, but when uh, the Philadelphia Flyers gooned it up against the New York Rangers and basically used their, uh, you know, their, their, their physical, thuggish players to beat up on the weaker players, um, they weren't getting arrested or being charged with assault because what they were doing while it was sort of in violation of the rules of the game, arguably, it was, it was in furtherance of the object of the game, which is to win. And um, when, you know, if we're talking about hockey fights or after-whistle skirmishes, those are sort of associated with the underlying object of the game. But swinging your helmet at a player as a weapon, uh, there, is no, there is no nexus between that act and trying to win the game. So eventually, uh, we will see, I think, it's, it's depending on, on the incident, but if, but if uh, Rudolph had you know, suffered a serious head injury, yeah, I think Miles Garrett would have been arrested. He's very lucky that there were no ensuing, ensuing serious injuries. Uh, so he's lucky he didn't get arrested, but the issue of NFL discipline is somewhat complicated by virtue of the fact that he was suspended indefinitely without a set punishment. And it, it, it does kind of beg the question, are there any standards here? Is the league uh, simply just, you know, making these disciplinary decisions, you know, basically, you know, by the seat of their pants without having a definable standard? I mean, surely he should serve a minimum of six games, but suspend them for six games, suspend them for a season. To simply say it's an indefinite suspension basically is the equivalent of as long as the NFL feels like having them on the sidelines, He's ineligible to play, and I, I think that kind of strikes at the heart of the uh, of the difficulty in, in the in, in the relationship between the players' union and the NFL, since some of these disciplinary decisions are not tied rationally tied to any set standard. So, um, so one last question, Dan, is is um, one of the topics that we haven't covered a lot on my show would be Colin Kaepernick, but it's probably discussed more than anybody. And last week, Colin uh, was invited, and it seemed like he had to deal with the NFL to have a tryout, or a, not a tryout per se, but a sort of a, an exhibition where he was able to show a, a training camp aspect, I don't, what they were going to call it, a workout, really, for all the teams to watch him play. And 24 teams were supposed to come. At the last minute, he changed his mind and moved to a place an hour away, and only eight teams went. Yeah. Talk about, like, why, why did the league have this workout for Colin when they really has never – it's almost unprecedented for any player ever to have this. And, and was it trying – was the league trying to avoid a collusion claim? And what were some of the aspects of that? Yeah. Well, Ira, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. In the history of the National Football League, I'm not aware of any uh, precedent of the league holding a workout solely for one player who's, a, who's an experienced NFL player. The, the league does – you know, they participate in the NFL scouting combine and individual teams bring players in for workouts. I'm not aware of any prior situation where the league has done this uh, in a special case for one player. The cynic in me believes that uh, the league is on the defensive here and wants to create a uh, sort of a perception that it is doing everything possible uh, to, to, you know, make Colin Kaepernick as employable as possible in, in, as part of a defensive uh, you know, you know, in defense of any potential future collusion claim, they want to be seen as plausibly aiding his future employment possibilities. So the whole thing could be viewed as a sham that the league set up uh, just to just for the perception that it is trying to, uh, you know, place him in the best possible light. Uh, but the real re- another reason the league may have done this investigation or, or commenced this workout on a league basis is because if individual teams had brought him in for a workout, you know, 40 to 60 percent of the fan base 
you know, I, we live in such polarized times that no matter who the team is, there is a significant percentage of that fan base uh, that believes that Colin Kaepernick you know, shouldn't be in the NFL anymore. And if a team were to bring him in for a tryout, it would risk alienating uh, a certain percentage of their own fan base. So having the league do it uh, in, in some ways provides the individual teams with the cover to be able to uh, watch the workout and evaluate Kaepernick for themselves. Now, the reason that the workout got shifted is that the National Football League presented Colin Kaepernick with a, with a release document, a release and a waiver that um, went a little bit, that went considerably beyond uh, the risk of injury. It, it, could be, it could be interpreted based upon the language used in the release as absolving the NFL from any and all employment-related claims, even past collusion claims. Remember, he settled a lawsuit over uh, collusion issues uh, last year, but that was only uh, through a particular you know, time frame. He still hasn't been playing in the league over the last year, year and a half, uh, and, and going forward through and including this season. So he still has potential uh, collusion claims which have accrued. And the, the release that the league wanted Kaepernick to sign uh, was so broad that he could be, in essence, giving up any future collusion claims for past discrimination, for past collusive efforts. And, you know, he, from his perspective, he wanted, he wanted to grant the NFL a release on, on anything relating to the risk of physical injury. But what he wasn't willing to do was waive employment-related claims. And given the relationship and the litigation history between the league and Kaepernick, uh, I think the league should have anticipated that that was going to be a non-starter. So well, anyway, Dan, I, I hope to have you on again. I mean, there's so much we could talk about, and I really appreciate you coming on. I know you're super busy. So this is Dan Wallach of the Wallach at Legal LLC, uh, the top sports betting attorney in America, and been on every network, anything I've seen you've been on. You've been tremendous, and I really appreciate you coming on the show, and we'd love to have you back uh, sometime soon. I'd love to. Thank, thanks for having me on tonight, Ira, and Mike. Thank you, and uh, look forward to joining you again in the future. Always a great guest, Dan Wallach here on Ira on Sports. Got so many answers for us. Ira, you think I should sue the NFL for collusion since they're banning or blackballing five foot six guys who run seven second forties? I mean, that's basically where I'm at with this. Um, let's talk boxing real quick before we get into Monday Night Football because I do want your pick for this evening. Uh, but tell us about what went down over the weekend. I think you took this all in in Columbus. I took it in Columbus. It was Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz, heavyweight championship of the world. Wilder is one of the champions. Uh, uh, Andy Ruiz, who beat um, uh, Anthony Joshua, is the other champion, along with Tyson Fury under the lineal championship. So this was a big-time fight. Wilder is this one punch. He's 43 fights, 42 knockouts. Most of his fights have ended in the first round. And it was great watching Columbus because Columbus is the home of James Buster Douglas, who beat Mike Tyson in the biggest upset of all time. And it was Wilder's a great, crazy fighter in terms of people have never given enough credit. He, just, he really doesn't box well. He doesn't have a boxing game. He just probably throws one of the hardest punches we've ever seen anyone ever throw. And he just, like, waltz through seven rounds, doesn't really get hit. And then in the seventh round, you're like, Ortiz, I had Ortiz, uh, uh, Ortiz winning every single round in the six, one through six. Seven, and most of the judges had it the same way, 5-1 or 4-2. And the seventh round, uh, he just got too close and one-punch knockout. Knocked him down and knocked him out to, to a count of 10. Uh, and Wilder defends the title. And now he's set for this rematch against Tyson Fury. They fought last year. It was one of the best fights I've ever seen. February 22nd, uh, they're going to have a rematch between Tyson Fury and Wilder. Two enormous. They're each 6-7, 6 These are heavy, the heavyweight guys, and it's going to be a great match. And then Joshua and Ruiz have their rematch on December 7th. So it was fun to watch. I love watching uh, boxing matches in bars uh, with, the, with enthusiastic fans, and it was great to be there in Columbus and, and watch the fight at the home of James Buster Douglas. Um, Ira, Monday Night Football tonight. The line is three and a half. Baltimore is giving the Rams in their house. I, I, I say that's fair. I, I, I can't really debate that too much, but I do think that the Ravens win this one, and I think they win it handily. I think it's by a touchdown or so. What's your take? Well, look, the Rams' defense has been paper mache. And if the Ravens just have been doing what the Ravens have been doing like this entire season when you saw it against the Patriots and they just run the ball, um, they're going to just control the action. The game's gonna, it's not going to be a long game. 
because the Rams have proven they can't really do anything on offense. They're not, this is not the Rams of last year, and they, can't, they have trouble running. But Todd Gurley is not Todd Gurley. And Mark Ingram is just going to run the ball, and Lamar Jackson is going to run the ball, and they're just going to control the clock. It's going to be like Ohio State. It could be like 21 nothing at halftime. But I just don't see the Rams. The Rams have not shown an ability to pass the ball, and Jared Goff does not like to get hit, doesn't like pressure, and the Ravens' defense. And I agree with you. This, this, this has a feel of like a 28 28- Seven game. I mean, that's what, uh, of the, for the Ravens to win. But I mean, maybe the Rams are going to find their magic. It's a must win. We talked about this earlier. Yeah. They're six and four, and with the Vikings being eight and three, and the Packers being eight and three, that's in the Seattle at nine and two. The wild card spot is eight. That's the number. There's going to be five games left. You cannot. You, they they can't be at six wins and everyone else at eight with only five to go. This is a must win for the Rams tonight. Ira, we are just about out of time. You said you're debating on some college games. What about NFL or any other plans for the week? Cleveland Steelers. So I'll go to Cleveland Steelers on Sunday. I'm pumped. Huge rematch of the two teams. Uh, if the rivalry has been not ratcheted up a notch. And but the, hopefully there's no Mason Rudolph. I would not put Mason Rudolph in for that game. I think Duck should start. Uh, and the Steelers fans want him to start, and I just think he's the right quarterback for this type of game. It's going to be a fun game to watch on Sunday, and it was flexed out of the time slot, so it was moved to 1 o'clock, and it was supposed to be, at the, I think, a 4 o'clock game, but uh, hopefully people can see it. Uh, but it was, it was a, it's going to be a good game, so I'll be at the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game. Yeah, the NFL didn't plan on Cleveland and Pittsburgh seasons turning out quite the way it did. I can see why they, why they flexed them. I want to thank Dan Wallach so much for popping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. I'll talk to you next Monday night. Ira on Sports.